May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today. In the heat, looked at my phone yesterday, said 93 feels like 106. Unbelievable. I want to talk to you this morning about this gospel reading. A uh, big idea today is salvation cannot wait. Now is the time. You've heard me talk about the three C's of preaching. Preaching should challenge, convict, and every now and then comfort. And this passage, I think, Karen, did you kind of take a breath there or something as you were reading that? It challenges, challenges our faith, and it challenges our commitment and relationship to Jesus. So I, it's going to be, this text is just very challenging, it's convicting, and I hope at the end it's comforting. The question really is, how serious am I about my faith? How important is this to me? What, what place does this have in my life? Jesus is, uh, as of chapter 9, he's headed to Jerusalem. And on his way, he's teaching, teaching, teaching. And he's trying to inform people about his father, about the faith, about the future. And it's interesting to me that as time marches on, uh, the number of people get lower. Like when he feeds the 5,000, it says 5,000 men. But there were women and children. So it was probably between fifteen and 20,000 people that were fed that day. And then Jesus gets in a boat and he goes across the lake and they kind of like show up the next morning on the other side of the lake for breakfast. No breakfast, see you later, got to go. When he appears after the resurrection, appeared at one time to 500. At, at Pentecost, in the upper room, he's down to 120. He's down to 120. Um, we look at our world today and it seems like in the West, the established church is kind of dwindling, shrinking. Um, there are outposts of good news. Christ the King, I think, is one of them. We have a newcomer's class today with about 18 or 20 people in it. Um, but mainline churches tend to be on the going down. But in Africa, they can't keep up with the growth. Later this week, our daughter Eleanor is headed to, with her Shake the Nations group, to Lima, Peru. We'll be praying for that. And they will be preaching to a soccer stadium filled with people on two nights. All around the United States, you have these groups of young people that are gathering, that are spirit-filled, young people. It's really, really exciting. So you have the church growing in Africa, Southeast Asia, places like that. The, the number one place where the church is growing in the world right now is Iran. In an underground way, the church is on the move in Iran, and it's exciting. So there are good, there's some good news, even as you hear about all this bad news about Christianity. So the question is, do I have a... Con a genuine concern for the condition of my soul before God, or am I worried about the wrong things? Am I allowing the cares of this world to get in the way? Much like having to wear reading glasses. 
Kathy says, thank God for reading lessons. There you go. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O man of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. A missionary society wrote to David Livingston and asked, Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. Livingston wrote back, if you have men who will, only come, who, who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. How committed am I to my faith? How serious am I about that? Am I being distracted by the cares of the world and putting this aside or in second place? The question here is, are only a few going to be saved? reasonable. They were Jewish. They were in. They were uh, children of Abraham. John the Baptist had something to say about that. He said, therefore, in the multitude, as the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruits that befit repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. So that really doesn't count for much. Family heritage. Paul Ferguson was here this morning, and his father in 1940 started a church in Charleston, West Virginia, that now boasts 3,000 people. And I said, good for you, Paul, because now, because your father started that church, you are going to heaven. Hallelujah. And I, he felt all warm inside. Yes. Is that how that works? I don't think so, but a lot of people think that. I come from a Christian heritage. I was baptized. I was confirmed. I was this or I was that. A little bit more on that later. But did it mean anything? Is it reflected in your life, the way that you live? Saved means to be reconciled with the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. They always say that preachers have one sermon, that's mine, everything else is commentary. We are saved, <laughs> we're reconciled with the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they want to know how many. And Jesus says, it's not about how many, it's about how about you. And then the question is, saved from what? Actually, we're saved from God. 
We're saved from God the judge by God the redeemer. This is real. This is real. Um, you know, you watch a football game or a baseball game or, and you ask yourself, how many of you know Jesus in a saving way? Because everybody will either spend eternity with God or eternity separated from God, no exceptions. And we live in a place where they have access to that truth and that word and that life-giving decision. And so many people just put their hand up and either don't want anything to do with it or think, they'll get to that too. I have plenty of time. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. It comes from a Greek word, agonizomai, which we're, we get our word agonize from that, right? It's actually an athletic term talking about wrestlers who are straining and strong, putting all forth all of their effort. It takes effort to get what you want. An Olympic athlete doesn't show up on the day of the Olympics and say, sign me up, I'm in. I remember Frank DeLuca's granddaughters from DeLuca Toyota years ago. They moved to Colorado with their mother because that's where the ice skating coach was. Their dad stayed here. They went to Colorado and they skated. They didn't go to school. They had tutors. They didn't have a school experience at all. But they wound up on an Olympic team. They wound up doing, going to the Nationals and doing very, very well. But it was a complete, total, utter commitment to that sport. Nothing was going to get in the way of that. Not family, not friends, not education, nothing. And this is what God is asking of us. What is getting in the way of your relationship with me? And it's not salvation by works. Works don't do it. I was brought up to believe that works did it. That it was about how good I was, whether I would be acceptable or not to God. There wasn't much talk of a gospel. There wasn't much talk of the cross. There wasn't much talk of his redeeming sacrifice. It was about me being a good person. I've since come to find out that that means nothing when it comes to being reconciled with God. Total commitment to Christ. You turn from sin. It's about obedience, repentance, change. No easy believism. There's been a whole trend in for the last few decades of what they call of, of, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think, called easy believism. And that is you just go to a service or something, you go to a meeting, you say a prayer, and then I'm in. I'm good. I, I don't really need to change anything about my life. I said the prayer. It's even worse than that. I've told you about when we would give away groceries at the Southeast Livestock Pavilion years ago, churches would get together and they'd have these we, we let in 100 people at a time, and they had these two long tables, long tables filled with groceries. And Eddie, from the evangelist from Chicago, would be over here in the stands. I always tried to get him to put seats so they could look at Eddie, but they didn't want to do that. So they're over here looking at the groceries, and Eddie is over here preaching his heart out. And at some point, Eddie would always say, the 
you want to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand. Hallelujah. And people would go, what? Somebody, my hand? What? And people would go around and count the upraised hands as salvation. They had no idea what they were doing. But, they, but look at, look at the, the fruit of giving away the groceries. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Not so much. So the door closes. We do not have plenty of time. How many of you will be alive tomorrow? Raise your hand. How many of you think you'll be alive tomorrow? Raise your hand. You, you, you raise your hand the second time because you've always been alive tomorrow. All right? You just think, well, it's going to be one more day. No big deal. And that's what they think when they get on the plane that crashes. Or when they get, they see that truck coming at them head on at 70 miles an hour and didn't expect it. End of story, end of line. Am I ready that I have another chance? The devil and his cohorts were devising plans to get people to reject the gospel. Let's go to them and say, there is no God proposed one. Silence prevailed. Every devil knew that most people believe in a supreme being. Let's tell them there's no hell, no future punishment for the wicked, offered another. That was turned down because men obviously have consciences which tell them that sin must be punished. The conclave was going to end in failure when there came a voice from the rear. Tell them there is a God, there is a hell, and that the Bible is the word of God. But tell them there is plenty of time to decide the question. Let them neglect the gospel until it is too late. All hell erupted with ghoulish glee, for they knew that if a person procrastinated on Christ, they usually never accepted him. And today is really all we have. He says, open up. They say, open up. And he says, I never knew you. Some quick thinking is needed here. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Yes, yes, you know us. We were around you a whole lot. We heard the gospel preached. We felt the distinct warmth of your presence in worship services and at the Lord's table. We listened to the Bible taught and discussed. We have Christian parents and Christian siblings and Christian children. We went on youth retreats and attended conferences. We went to RYM. We attended Christian schools. We must forget to add that we saw some Christian movies. We had devotionals with our families. We listened to Christian radio stations, and we even liked some of the Christian music. We even read A Pilgrim's Progress in the Chronicles of Narnia. We had every intention to follow you, but you know how it is. We've been really busy, maybe even a little distracted for a few years. We really didn't mean to let things go so long, so far. But with resounding finality, the voice of the Lord speaks, and he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all of you evildoers. It's not about how close you were to Christians. It's not about how many Christian-oriented things you participated in. It's not about how many times you attended church or conference or camps. It's about your sin. You're an evildoer, one given over to unrighteousness. Your guilt has never been taken away by the sacrifice of Christ. You've never turned from your sin. 
you've had the gospel, you've had the opportunities to run to Christ, but you didn't. Depart from me, all you evildoers. The gospel is give up everything you are, everything you've hoped for, everything you dream you want to, uh, to be. Abandon yourself completely to God and his sovereign grace, his will, and his purpose, and God will take care of the rest. Luke 9.23 tells us, if you want to be my disciple, die to self. Pick up your cross and follow me every day. Die to self. That's a tall order. And all those things I just read about hopes and dreams doesn't mean you have, don't have hopes and dreams. But if that's what's fueling you, if that's what's moving you forward, then you're going in the wrong direction for the wrong reason. It's Christ that needs to be moving us forward as we participate in this life. Raising families and creating businesses and doing all those things that make a difference in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine the angst of all those on the outside looking in as they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob sitting down with people from the north, south, east, and west? Who would those people be? Those people would be those dirty, outcast Gentiles who came to faith in Jesus. You're in my seat. And all they can do is look. It's like an eternal root canal with no anesthetic. Those who think they are first, like the Pharisee, I thank God I'm not like other men, will be last. And those who think they are last, like the tax collector, oh God be merciful to me, a sinner, will be first. The question is, which one am I? Salvation cannot wait. Now is the time. Now, if you've ever been to a funeral that I've done, you've seen me do this. I do this every time I do a funeral. Demonstrate the gospel. Okay. So I get Kathy up there. Sam. And, oh, let's see, mm. Frank, you did? You stand here with your back to the altar, face the crowd. Face this person here. Oh, God. This is the miserable sinner. Trust me. Now, you can't be moving around. You got to stay there, buddy. Judge. When the God the Father looks at the miserable sinner. He sees her as unrighteous, unholy, and unacceptable. And you see how she's doing this? She just thinks she's fine and dandy. I tell you what. 
But maybe sometimes she thinks that I'm going to do things that will make God like me better. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to read a Bible. I'm going to say my prayers. I'm going to give money. But if you're doing those things in order to reconcile yourself with the Father, all of those things, the Bible says, are like filthy rags in the sight of a holy and righteous God. They mean less than nothing. We think they're good. But if we're using them for that purpose of reconciliation with the Father, they mean less than nothing. Off to the side of everybody's life stands Jesus. I was 33, I asked Christ to step between the Father and me. I accepted what he did on the cross, that sacrifice that he made for me that I couldn't make for myself. And now when the Father looks at the miserable sinner, he sees him through his son, and all of a sudden Kathy is holy and righteous and acceptable. Not because of anything she did, but because of what Christ did for her. You got the date. I was a little later, 1982. And then when that happens, they get to stand next to each other as brother and sister. <laughs> That's the gospel. That's the father looking at us as sinners and then the son stepping between us. And all of a sudden, we're holy and righteous and acceptable because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's it. Thank you very much. I'm going to play a song. Um, as, this, as this song plays, if you feel led by the Spirit to come forward, to either commit your life to Jesus in faith or to renew your commitment to him in faith, I would ask you to respond to the Spirit as the Spirit moves and leads.
Father, you know the hearts of everyone here. And we thank you, Lord, for the way you love us. We thank you for the sacrifice your son made on that cross for us. I thank you, Lord, for the commitment and the love that he's shown in this church to you by the people who call this place home. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a day that we would remember. August 21st, 2022, as a day of commitment, as a new beginning, a new start, a day when we would fully, fully embrace our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.